Jarvis. All right, here we go. Are we on? Yep. Do you can you see that we're all on? Yep. Okay, cool. We are making lines on the thing. Woo. Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about ministry and life and faith here in Portland, Oregon. I'm David Libby. And I am Josh Hawk. And we're here for season two. Season two, the long-awaited, the much-awaited. The long-anticipated season two. See, most podcasts and most TV shows, if, if you watch them, they plan out these seasons where they'll go for a while and then take a long break. And we do that too, but our seasons uh, have to do with... With life. With life. We <laughs> we got really busy and sort of kept forgetting to do a podcast. Every once in a while, you would write me and be like, hey, let's podcast. And I'd say, hey, I've got a lot on my plate this week because <laughs> um, we're maybe being sued. It's a whole big thing that we'll talk about in uh, season two. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get people to excited get, once again. Right. And and then I would write you... Well, no, I don't think I ever wrote you, did I? No. Uh, but I thought really hard in my room, like, hey, we should podcast. And you were busy or you were traveling. And so we didn't really do anything. And then three, four, five months passed. Yeah. And you said... A lot hey, of drama later, you know. A lot of drama. And so you said, let's podcast. And we said, cool. Season two... We definitely, absolutely planned this where we would take a break and then come back with a vengeance. So, um, so this is season two. Yeah, first episode, very special. We've got a special guest with us too. We, Should we introduce her? We have at the some specialist point? guest, your sister-in-law. My sister-in-law. Yep, I I would love to say my favorite sister-in-law, but I you can probably, I, you can just I can say it. Are okay. you? I, well, we, we had we had Larissa on in season one, but we had her on before she was my sister-in-law. That's true. So. Yeah. You, so you I can, can you yeah. can still say Sam's right. your favorite. The the favorite is the one who's here. That's right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So we have Sam Hawk, uh, my sister-in-law. We had her husband on the it's season one. Too, yeah, the really, Christmas, like, episode. Christmas yeah. episode. That was fun. Thanks. Anyway, thanks for yeah. being here, Sam. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, we want to talk about you've you've been pretty vocal online about some of the struggles of parenthood, which we uh, know have, nothing about. We have talked at length <laughs> in in various episodes about how hard parenthood has been on on our end because I'm 35, you're 36. Yeah, 36. Um, you're getting old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and we've got young kids and are struggling but then um that's from our perspective as fathers and we've been talking to a bunch of our mother friends who are having similar but also very very, very different, different very situations unique. and so we wanted to begin season two which we Again, absolutely planned this. Um, we, we wanted to begin season two talking about some of the struggles of motherhood, which is something that so many here in Portland and elsewhere are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. So, um, so we wanted to begin season two by talking about that. Yeah. So, Sam, you want to introduce yourself? You are a great mom. I'll just preface that. 
Um, tell us about your children and just kind of about maybe your motherhood story um, and kind of bring us up to speed. Okay. Yeah. So I'm Sam and I have two kids. I have a two and a half year old named Eliza and a 10, almost 11 month old son named Milo. <laughs> and my life is crazy. Um, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we sat you on a couch to talk with you and I'm realizing that was probably a poor choice. <laughs> on a you just fall asleep right now, right? Oh, sleep. A two oh, and sleep. a half year well, old but it's like 11 month old. Yeah, yeah, so they're 20 months apart. Um, <laughs> it's funny because actually neither of them were really planned, but totally different situations with that so with with Eliza uh, Joel and I struggled to conceive for about three years and um, it was really hard it was probably probably one of the hardest things I've been through is to just um, face this like maybe it's never going to happen kind of scenario Um, yeah tell us about that we um, my wife and I had the same situation about three years and you're in your 20s? I'm 27. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Watching your friends having kids and thinking you you can't. Just unbelievably difficult, yes? Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, especially because like I went to a small Christian college and so that's pretty much what you do. You go to college to get married and <laughs> you know, who cares about an education and a, yeah, and a career and all that? But it is true, yeah. And so I, I got out of college and watched almost all of my friends start having babies. And like a couple of them just, they they, they don't, they won't stop. They just keep having them. <laughs> and yeah, so it was, it was tough, especially like with social media. You just see everybody posting their announcements and their beautiful pictures and then all the just happy moments that are really kind of more manufactured um yeah I mean it was hard it was really hard that was one of the one of the harder aspects but also like when you're talking about infertility it's such a stigmatized thing Mm. like these are my private parts they're not working (laughs) can't have kids and then you have people in the church who are like oh well let me just pray over your ovaries I remember when that happened. Did did someone say that? Yes. That's Oh, my gosh. That's so uncomfortable. It was very (laughs) uncomfortable for me. Um, Hopefully they didn't lay hands on the ovaries. No, there was no laying of hands on the ovaries. I'm I'm sorry to keep interrupting. (laughs) We should make a shirt that says, let me just pray over your ovaries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's some weird weird people in the church especially when it comes to like having children yeah and people are always asking you like when are you gonna have a baby like it's the thing that you're meant to do and and like i i think i don't know i like to give people the benefit of the doubt so i think most of it at least is well intended but there's this culture that exists you know that we have just kind of inherited and like man we they're you can't say that, you know, or you shouldn't say that, or your social awareness right now is is really, really low. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. And for me, it was like I struggled for a long time with 
do I keep this really important, painful thing to myself mm. because it is very personal and private? Or do I like just share what's going on with my life? And yeah, like it, it took a little while to get to that place. But, you know, Joel and I started reaching out and talking to people and it was one of the best things that I could have done for the healing process because um, I had Lauren, who was a real um, companion and just a truth speaker in my life. And that was a, what I really needed. And being able to talk about these things that are so stigmatized, it really helps with kind of breaking down, uh, breaking down that wall. Mm-hmm. And um, For the record, just by the way, Lauren is my wife. So Yes. For and just listeners who don't yeah. know that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, so that was something that really led to a lot of healing. And so it was funny because I I've I got to this place where, you know, I was I was good. And Joel and I were like making plans to do a bunch of backpacking and just travel and then boom, I'm pregnant. <laughs> like um such a happy happy surprise but also like what a cruel joke you know like i had to go through this really painful thing all to just actually be fertile at the wrong time (laughs) yeah so so yeah she was um our little miracle (laughs) and we we were very 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 happy and (laughs) and then On my daughter's first birthday, I found out that I was pregnant with my son. Oops. (laughs) So very different words came out of my mouth and very different feelings came out. Um, His his story is really crazy because, like, I mean, this is going to get real personal, but, like, I had an IUD. Okay, so those things are supposed to be, like, pretty legit and... um, yeah, one day I was walking around Ikea with Lauren, actually, and I was like, ah, something's wrong. <laughs> I went to the bathroom, and it, there it was. I just found it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I went and scheduled an appointment with uh, with my doctor, and she was like, I can't find it, so it must still be in there. And so I just, like, reached in and grabbed it. And <laughs> I was like, nope, it's not still in there. It has ejected and she was like oh okay well let's just get you right back on some birth control then and get on your way and i'm like wait a second shouldn't we just check and see if i'm pregnant like just in case i know i don't have the best track record with getting pregnant huh. easily but i just feel like this is a standard protocol I and mean, she it's, it's smart to check these things right i mean you gotta yeah <laughs> denial is fun sometimes right. but you can't really deny that mm. kind of thing yeah. so but it's just she was so was so interesting because she said to me i would be shocked if you were pregnant right now just go home take a home <laughs> pregnancy test in about 10 days mm-hmm. a couple days later take another one and then we'll go from there she prescribed me some kind of birth control that I never actually had the opportunity to take because about a week later, I took a test and I was pregnant. <laughs> so, ha, ha, mm. ha, ha. Cruel <laughs> joke number two. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so going through that, that second pregnancy, I, 
I kind of, you can, you can obviously shoot down anything <laughs> that you don't want to talk about, but, um, we, I find it interesting that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and what have you, <laughs> we post the, the parts of our lives that we want people to see. Yeah. And I remember you posting, hey, um, so I, gu- I guess we're having another kid, and and the other good stuff, but in between the good stuff that you're posting, there's a whole lot of questions and unknowns and, and, and freakouts and all these other things going on hmm. that we don't vomit out to the world. Well, I guess some people do, but that's a whole other issue on its own. Um, what's that like, being like, okay, we, we had these plans and now... Now these plans are entirely thrown off. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, there was a lot of guilt just because it's a baby, you know? Babies didn't, he didn't choose to be conceived. (laughs) Like, it just (laughs) happened, and um, babies are so good. Yeah, they're good. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, so there was some guilt because I... Also, because I really wanted to have Eliza and prayed for her and wrote poems and songs while I was waiting for her. And then it just felt so different with my son, just feeling like this is this is absolutely not what I wanted. I didn't choose this. So, yeah, like there's a lot of guilt there. And then um, but like, how do you come out and just be like, well, didn't want this, right. but we're having a baby, you know? And also you're thinking, I'm thinking about like long-term, you know, like I don't want my son growing up, like feeling like he isn't wanted or that yeah. he's like the second best, you know, or the, I don't know, just so you're trying to be careful, I guess, about the things that you say around people and the things that you choose to post. It's, it's also, yeah, it's also fascinating because the people who talk about a surprise kid, they usually talk about the kid, at least in my experience, when the kid's like six, seven, eight, and they'll say, oh, this was our little surprise, and they'll be all happy. In the moment, the surprise... I mean, if we're, if we're being honest with ourselves, it's, it, it could be, you know, happy, but the happy comes along with a, a lot of pain and agony yeah. and like you said guilt and and fear and and maybe some thoughts that you you feel bad for having like you feel like you're not supposed to have mm-hmm. yeah i mean sometimes also if we're just being real it's not happy you know and like just being able to say that like why is that so bad I didn't yeah. want this, you know. I I made a choice by by choosing to have him and I obviously could have made a different choice. Yeah. I could have kept it a secret. I could have aborted him. I could have, you know. I didn't have to choose this and I did. And and I chose it because of my values and because I because I I I believed it was good and it was right. But yeah, in the moment it sucked. Yeah. And for nine months, it sucked. And 10 months later, you know, after he's born and I'm dealing with all this, 
like postpartum depression and anxiety like it sucks i i would not um i can say confidently like i wouldn't change having him i love him he is like the sweetest little kid he just loves to snuggle and he smile like smiles all the time and the dynamic that he's brought to our family has been really rich um but like the circumstances around his conception and his birth were not um were not ideal and you know it is it just that's just the way it is so it's there uh we live in this culture that is very shame based um and i that's that's one of the big things i think especially with moms guys like we get a we get a a free pass i think you know like we can we can kind of be douches and get away with it because i think (laughs) i i think the well on like from a culture the expectation for the dad is much lower than than that of the mom and so like i like yeah i i get i'm the babysitter like no you're the other parent you know it's like yeah i'm not babysitting my kids like no, it's my kids too. Um, but then we get like boys like, oh, you're such a good dad. You know, you watch the kid while mom, you know, went out. And like, well, I can change a diaper too. You know, like I, <laughs> I, I may not be able to breastfeed my kid, but I can do just about everything else. Um, but as a mom, when you, when you are having like feelings or when you're feeling like a, a failure as a parent, as I I think every parent feels at some point um, there's this shame, there's this expectation, there's like this this mom code too of like the like posturing back and forth, you know, and, and um, whether it be you know using cloth diapers or disposable diapers or you know like breast milk or formula and like there's so many. There's so many stigmas, uh, you know, around that. And then you get older and education, like, are you private school, public school, homeschool? Like, how much do you really love your kid and care about them? Because if you did, you would do these certain things, you know. And um, and as a mom, like, you, in, in, in a culture, like, you, you are then li- having to live up to that and then face that. And so, like, I'm going to make this decision. Your, 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 your birthing story was different too and that's a whole could be a whole nother discussion too but you chose to have milo your your son at home and there's a stigma around that too and um and walking that that line and just knowing that man i'm gonna really piss some people off and but it's it it's my life it's my family and uh it's at some point it's gonna be what it's gonna be i guess but having to Oh, kind of arrive at those conclusions yourself and deal with with some of that shame and so what's some of that journey been like <sighs> it's still like it's probably going to just be like that forever i mean there's just like an impossible standard i think mm-hmm. like i've i've said this a lot to joel that when he became a dad he just kind of evolved in his personhood, like he just became more than he was. Um, but when I became a mom, I felt like something retracted in me, like something was taken away mm. so that I could be the mom. Interesting. And and not and not all of it is bad, but it just like yeah. for me it feels very all consuming and like 
in, in this place of life that I'm in right now, I have to sit and think really hard about what do I like to do? Who am I? What would I do if yeah. I didn't have two little people on me all day long? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it makes me like angry and sometimes it makes me sad that I just don't know <laughs> that, but you know, so, so yeah, I just think that like, and I, and even hesitate to say this, but like I've lost pieces of myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on this journey of motherhood. I've gained a lot too, but I just, as an individual person, mm-hmm. I, I question a lot of like, well, what, what about me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think that there's a lot of pressure, and not and not to say that there's not pressure on on fathers too, because there totally is. But um, like even like working moms versus stay at home moms, yeah. you know, like if you work if you work, um, then there's a group of people who are on this side saying like, oh, yeah. you just you just never see your kids, and like Let you just somebody else raise like your you kids. yeah, like what's up with that? But if you stay at home, all you are is the stay at home mom. Right. You're not you're not like an independent woman who has a mind and a mind of her own and passions and this is all you are. And so it just is very frustrating mm. to to just feel like I'm being defined by this thing or people are defining me by this thing. Yeah. yeah. And uh yeah, definitely it just it makes me very frustrated. Mm. It makes me uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I, I've I've seen like I, I I've seen parents, um, you know, older older parents when their their children age out, where their identity was so wrapped up in their kids, and they they don't know what to do after mm-hmm. that, you know. And it it's interesting. There's a high number statistically of, of divorce that happens after the kids leave the home because like, wow, I I I didn't know who I was, you know, and now all as a parent, you're like I. I don't have my kids as this buffer, this identity that you know, I, that kids were my identity. And so being able, I think it's, it's, I think it's like of great <clears throat> importance, um, to be able to wrestle through that when, you know, when our kids are young and to be able to say, no, I, I love my kids dearly, but I am not my kids. Like, and I am more than just a mom. Um, you know, that's not, your identity is not just, being a mom and you like you wrestled with that too you had to like give that up initially early on you're like mate i i feel as as a woman you're like there's this this desire and watching all your other friends get pregnant like i i want to be a mom so bad um and some of that being that identity you know things and and that journey with that and then have it like getting to that point where you, you give that up and like okay i'm I'm okay with not having it. And then you, you get it, you know, whether that be a gift, you know, or a a cruel joke or, um, at the end, you know, definitely we can celebrate the life of, of your children. Um, but then now, now you've got that identity. Like I, I am a mom, but I, I'm more than that too. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that really sucks is this thought of like, I, I, I'm going to spend a lot of myself 
raising these little people mm-hmm. for them to just leave me someday. So it's it's an uh, interesting thought for me of like, yeah. I'm investing so much. And when you invest in something, you, you want to see the payoff, right? And I yeah. think like the payoff is seeing, you know, your kids be good people, well-rounded, you know, adjusted, people who love people, you know, just you want to see those things. But also it, I cannot help but feel like there's a little futility in this that like Mm -hmm. we, we spend so much of ourselves and our time and uh, sacrifice a lot of who we are to get them to this place. (laughs) And, um, it just, yeah, it just like on one hand, it feels really like incredible that we get we get this opportunity but then on the other hand it feels like well like 18 years from now I mean whoever or 25 or 30 I mean, whatever however many years it is whatever the point is like they're not going to be around forever in my day-to-day life so it's just weird for me to go from this place of like needing needs for these people 24 hours a day seven days a week to realizing that you know, there's potential that weeks or months will go by when I won't see them or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's just a, it's a hard thing to wrestle with that. And mm-hmm. like I, when I sit back and think about my, my values and <clears throat> what I really want, it doesn't line up with like what I'm feeling right now mm-hmm. because I, I, as, as a mom, you know, especially like after my son, it's not even been a year yet, but um, it's just, it's, there's some, something biological that's going on with me too that I don't feel like I'm super in control of. So like the feelings that I have about like anxiety about leaving them, like, I don't think that that's really what I am or who I am, but I just think that there's something within me that hasn't been set right after his, after his birth mm. yeah. that is just mm. making me um, struggle more with, with the guilt and the shame and mm. the anxiety. So, yeah, I don't know what that answered or if that, yeah. if that did. Well, but. we'll talk a little more about that. I, if, if you can, I, um, I, I've been a little, uh, I've talked a little bit on this podcast about my own anxiety and depression and, um, and I've come to find that the the conversation about those things is is good and helpful for some and really off putting for others. And you've got extra layers of that. I feel like um, uh, postpartum, especially. I um, I feel like there's even more of a societal expectation and especially a church expectation that um, you, you just, I mean, it'll, it'll work itself out and you need to, you need to be able to get by. Come on. It's been almost a year. Um, No one would say these things. Yeah. But um you have you have thoughts and you have experiences um, that are a, aren't entirely you right now, but they're a part of you right now that um, 
in a in a church setting would be incredibly off-putting for some like how how do you find yourself dealing with that or are you able to deal with that (laughs) uh that's a yeah it's an interesting question the first thing I thought of was the fact that uh, I quit children's ministry this year. Uh-huh. Um, I just couldn't. I couldn't do it anymore. I was struggling to like take care of my own kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just I didn't want to be involved in children's ministry, and um, it's. It's very frustrating as a woman to be put like in the in the context of the church because you think about like oh I keep hitting that sorry um, oh you just ruined the podcast. I ruined I'm, it I'm yeah just kidding. Just, I'm, like, I just I'm getting really passion yeah. passionate so yeah. my arms are flailing but yeah. yeah like maybe you guys can both um, attest to this but within you know most church settings like the the males are leading the service. And the women are cooking the meals and taking care of the kids. Yeah, it's 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 actually really gross when you say that. Um, and, and 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 we, Josh and I, really try to push against that, but it it somehow happens, and it's it's gross. And I'm sorry, uh, but it but yeah, that's gross, and it's and it's true. But yeah, but it and it settings. just it is it is what it is. It's you know, but it it doesn't. It didn't do me any good to be, um, I mean, when we moved here, um, Debbie was the children's ministry uh, uh, pastor, director, whatever you want to call it, and she needed a break. She had just been doing it for so long, and Joel and I, we moved here. We just finished degrees in education, and we were like, yeah, we'll do it, and we did, and you know, then I had a kid, and it was like less great. And then I had another kid and was dealing with um, just the the feelings of the repercussions of that, like having just gone through something that I didn't necessarily want to have happen and trying to just figure out my own family and my own life and my own mind. Um, and so, yeah, I had to, I had to quit children's ministry. And yeah, I, I, I don't think that there's a lot of outwardly spoken things but there's definitely um read between the lines kinds of things you know where like yeah like i i i had two kids you know and that and that's the thing that also gets gets to me is the fact that there are people you josh you guys had three kids that's to me in this moment in my brain is nuts and like Debbie had four kids, and so I just feel like a lot of times I don't even have any hmm. right to feel the way that I feel, hmm. yeah. especially yeah. like within the church yeah. and talking with older people who just kind of minimize. Well, you know, you'll be fine. Like I went through it. I she had seventeen uh, kids. You know, really? yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just it feels very isolating, and that's that's something that I mean I I feel like. Um, for me anyways, even from the moment that I chose to start talking about our infertility, I had come to this this thought of like, why is this such a stigma? Mm-hmm. 
why does it have to be? It doesn't have to be. So, you know, I'm going to talk about it. And then did the same thing, like, with my home birth, which was, you know, I heard plenty of things about that. But, um, and then, again, now, like, with with my struggles with postpartum depression, I just think people just need to talk about stuff because this is all just... It's not like I'm the only person who couldn't have a baby. It's not like I'm the only person who is struggling with my kids. But, like, why is it such a, like, difficult thing to talk about? I just, I don't get it. And it makes me mad. Like, why don't we just talk about it? Then it's not such a big deal. Right. We we play the comparing game. And um, that doesn't do anybody any good ever, ever. Um, Mm -hmm. I... I remember this in, in grief, you know, losing, having a brother who died like, Oh man, that it, it is just horrible. But like when you get your car broken into, you also experience grief too. And you cannot compare getting your car broken into, to, you know, me losing a brother to, you know, like somebody else losing a spouse. Like it, it all really sucks. And it's all like it, it's all our own story and, and those levels of grief you know are 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 still the same and so um, I mean well it's still real and so for you the struggles with you know parenting two kids and you know for us having three biological kids and taking on foster children as well um, it's like it's it's hard but they're they're both equally hard you know like and and so it doesn't it doesn't do us any good, you know, and, you know, so for you to compare yourself to like, oh, well, you know, this other family, they're doing so much better, you know, and that other family like, oh, well, you've only got two kids, you, like, you, you don't have any right to complain, you know, and, and uh, like it, we are all created different, we're all unique, and um, I think the freedom to be able to express that to be able to be real um it takes us to another level i think relationally and then it also allows us to i don't know talk about some maybe some of our own insecurities or it there there's something that needs to be i think broken with us and it creates this this greater vulnerability which of course exposes us to being wounded on a deeper level but it also has greater potential, um, you know, for, for greater highs. Yeah. Greater connections. I, um, when I've, I've thought about this for years, but when I was in seminary, we had an old Testament theology class. And when we were looking at the Psalms, our, our professor, he said (laughs) that an American ideal or an American, uh, idea is that we always want the, joy to come quickly and he said that is especially true in the church he said look at any christian music any christian movie any christian book and the the happiness if you if you listen to any of those songs like the i i would say super hokey songs that um any of the non-worship songs that come on air one or k-love sorry to (laughs) crap all over Erwin and Caleb, but, but any, any of the songs that aren't worship songs tend to be about a guy or a girl who got into drugs or, or went, <laughs> uh, uh, d- 
did some sexually deviant stuff or whatever. And then at the very end of the song, in the third verse, um, God comes and changes their life. We always want the joy. If you watch, you know, any Christian movie, someone, like you said, might be dealing with infertility and then they'll suddenly have the baby and everything's happy. And, and our professor was saying that that's true in almost all music except for if you look at a lot of rap or country music. You'll have country music if you play it backwards. <laughs> no, he <laughs> you said, get all your stuff back. He said a lot of a lot of country and rap music, especially you look at like your Johnny Cash type country, and oh, and you'd you'd stay in the grief huh. and the lament. And he said, if you look at the Psalms, half of them are laments, and especially Psalm eighty-eight. He points out most of them you know, have a little tiny tag at the end that's like, oh, but I trust in you. But the previous 50 verses were all, life sucks, where are you? God is dead kind of talk. And then there'll be, but I trust in you. But Psalm 88 ends with, uh, darkness is my only friend. (laughs) And it's just done. And and I think about that when it comes to things like... um, uh, depression or anxiety or infertility or or postpartum depression or um, dealing dealing with your kids. Oh, aren't they so wonderful? No, no, they're not wonderful. You know what? I I just fought all the way to church today with my kid about X Y Z. No, they're not wonderful, Clara or whoever you know your whatever old lady you're talking to in church. They're they're not great. I don't like it. We, we don't, we don't grieve. We don't lament because yeah. we Christians want, and especially American Christians want everything to be happy. And all that to say, I think that's part of why there's an expectation that you, Sam, will be good now. You should be happy. It's been what ten months. Since you had your kid, you should be great, is the expectation now. And the truth is, it, like, grief and lament and pain and suffering, these things take a lot of time. And there's not a day that you're going to wake up and be like, oh, uh, it's gone now. It might happen for a day. And then, it, you know, it comes roaring back. It's... It, I, I think I think we're just kind of screwed up as a church in terms of letting people feel these things and experience these things. Yeah, I think that um, like Jesus calls us to authenticity, um, but the church like runs away from that. Oh, that's so good. And like and that and that's been interesting for me because I've I've battled a lot with like some ideals that I thought were ideals, um, but actually don't matter to me. Yeah. And I don't think that they matter to Jesus because Jesus calls me to authenticity. I think that he would rather I be me, who I am, with all the, you know, ugly and, and all the darkness, than to ever try to, like, present myself to him um, with with something fake, like I I think that he will always prefer 
the real the real me over anything that I could like put in a nice bow you know put put a nice bow around or whatever and so I've 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 questioned a lot of my thoughts a lot of the things that I once said were oh these are bad things um and come come to a place of just you know I don't really know but this is who I am and I I know that I'm closer to God now than I am when I uh when I don't embrace who I who I am in this moment Mm. um but yeah I just think that um it's so it's so interesting because like the people that I see every week you would think that that I would know them and that like we would be if we really call ourselves like a, a community and a family that like we would know each other and that like we would embrace who we really are um but I just don't I don't see that a lot and that kind of hurts Mm. it actually really hurts because I um even in this like uh affordable housing coalition that um Mm. that I've joined in the last seven months or so um when we've started to engage in stories and one-to-ones and like really hearing people's life stories I had this moment of like whoa there I don't know you yeah. I see you every yeah. single week and I sit with you and I sing with you and listen to, you know, sermons with you and like have coffee hour with you. But like, I know nothing about your life. Mm-hmm. And why are we just okay with that? I don't know. So if a lot of times it feels like, um, again, I guess some futility of like, what am I really doing here? Mm. I'm just not going to know people. I'm just not going to get people, let let people see and know me. And that just feels like a waste. Mm. And so I just, I think I just went off on a tangent maybe, but. Um, no, it's perfect. Yeah, I guess since, since my son's been born and really before that, since I chose the home birth, like really coming to terms with like who I am, Versus like who I think people think I am and who I think I should be around these people. Well, this is actually what is important to me. And this is, I can't, uh, I can't just pretend for you guys anymore. Sorry. And I just wonder what that would be like if we all just did that. (laughs) All right. Here's my hot take, David. (laughs) Are we doing these again? Yep. (laughs) Um, So that... That authenticity bit, you know, like, and and how the you're like the the, the church yeah. isn't very authentic. Yeah. I'm gonna blame suburbia, um, <laughs> and and here's if anybody knows me, you know that I have uh, um, this not great relationship, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> with at least the stigma of suburban America. And and I think we as a country, I think we as a culture are finally like realizing that because we have for a few generations, like we've built this ideal to say we have to look pretty, we have to look nice. And so we're going to actually move out of the cities. We're going to have these nice houses, you know, with brick fronts and a nice driveway. We're going to have our boat, you know, like we're going to have it all that, that American dream kind of that episode we did with Joel Kibler a while back, you know, like we, and then, 
and then you've got the keeping up with the Joneses, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and you're just like bantering back and forth, you know, or this posturing that, that happens where like you're, you're very cordial and sweet, you know, but there's no real authenticity there that, that happens. And, and we've seen that with a few generations. Um, I think of like my grandparents' generation, um, like they are probably the ones who really pushed that um, that that suburban movement really strongly, you know. Yeah. And then my parents kind of inherited that, and then we're now like un- undoing that, you know, or, or realizing, wow, you know, there's a lot of baggage with that, and and that worked maybe for for them. Um, I don't I don't know. I think there's big shifts that that are beyond my pay scale or my kind of ability to comprehend what's happening. Um, but we are seeing this big push against the whitewash, the, the picket fences against all of that nicety and say, Hey, we want to be real. We want to be authentic. And I, I love being my own, the personality that I am. I love when people come up, you know, and like, Oh, how are you? actually not really great and yeah. <laughs> I, I love seeing their responses especially outside of our like outside of portland you know or outside of my specific culture my network um times like being in the midwest and just this last year and like i had conversations and people just did not know how to respond <laughs> like, wait you're I'm, I'm sorry, you know, like I'll pray for you, you know, or, Ooh, or I, I hope, I hope things get better. <laughs> um, but they're, they just don't know how to respond. We don't know how to really respond to authenticity. And, um, well, you just, you weren't praying hard enough and it'll get right. better real quick. So by, that's that's yeah, the response by. that you'll get. So Sam, how you've been able, or you, you, you are, finding may not you have been because you are still on this journey Mm -hmm. um but you have found places to be real and authentic and people to open up to um what oh like what what's the foundational aspect what what kind of allowed you to be able to open up to be able to to share with people um to be able to really to be authentic with with some um yeah i mean i think a lot of it for me was just necessity like i couldn't be with myself hmm. with people with myself like like i couldn't uh i like i i wasn't okay if as if if i wasn't allowed to just be what i what i was and so it was kind of just like dic- dictated that i just put it out there um because otherwise what would happen is that I would just like retreat and I would just never be with people. Mm. And I know they, that's not what I need either. So, I mean, I had already had, you know, I already had some, some really amazing relationships where, where there have been lots of opportunities for me and for the other person to be just, just who they were and what they were in the moment. And so it was those people that I could, um, really like lean into in the beginning. And then I just felt like, like I just knew I'm definitely not the only one. And so like, if I just start talking about it, maybe that like lets Mm -hmm. other people start talking about it. And I did, did so, um, I started a blog 
And uh, the interesting thing is, like, I got some messages mm. from people who, when I saw their name in the message box, I was kind of trembling a little bit, <laughs> thinking, like, oh, my gosh, they're going to just, like, rip me a new one. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I was... I was shocked and surprised yeah. pleasantly yeah. by just this like unification. Like, yeah. whoa, you are the mom to all. Yeah. And yeah. you fit into so many church yeah. stereotypes. Yeah. But you're just like me. Yeah. The F word comes out of your <sighs> mouth too. You know, just, I mean, it was yeah. real. It's been really, really cool. And I've had people who just have thanked me for just putting put myself out there. Yeah. And like that to me feels, it feels like I'm doing like something good, I guess. I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, making relationships we, too. We are all like, we're, we're all more similar than we realize. Um, well, and we're all looking for solidarity of some kind. That's like, true. we, we need, we need to know that there's someone else who can say, me too, I'm going through that too, or I've gone through that. And and when we don't, when none of us open up, then none of us think that, all of us think that we should be able to power through this because so many others did. Yeah. And when when we put some of our crap out there, and get these private messages. It's always so weird getting private <laughs> messages from some people and that little heart attack before you open it. And at least in my case, sometimes yeah. I'm absolutely right in yeah. having that heart attack. <laughs> but uh, but a lot of times you, you find out that someone else is, just hasn't been mm. able to put their experience to words mm. and, and you did for them. And like... We all need solidarity in those moments, and so it's it's like, important to say stuff. I, I I like that word. I think something that gets accused of us when we do like commiserate together mm. is like we're looking for that justification. You know, like oh, it's okay. Like yeah, I I like the solidarity a lot more mm. than justification. You know, like I'm not looking to be justified. You know, and to justify like I I know that my feelings right now, what I'm thinking, is not holy you know or it's it's not what it should be but it it is what it is and um on this journey towards you know where wherever we're going um or as we grow as as humans um i'm not looking to justify my actions but i i'm looking to yeah. to be authentic and to grow together to journey together and wherever that may take us <clears throat> yeah. yeah i heard jonathan martin put uh, similar things recently, I think it was on an Instagram post, but he said, um, when you speak about your experiences, you're probably not going to convince anyone and you're not called to convince anyone. Yeah. All you're called to do is bear witness and mm. you are the one who can bear witness to your own experiences. Mm. And that's, and that's what you're called to do. And, the the things you say may not convince anyone about anything mm. you're saying, but you're bearing witness to what you've been through. And what you've been through is something that millions of people have been through and have had to quietly suffer through. So I'm, I'm thankful that you're out here 
uh, what I don't want to say loudly suffering. <laughs> what's the what's the opposite of quietly suffering? Still suffering, but at visibly, least visibly, visibly suffering. suffering. Oh, opening yourself up a little bit, being vulnerable, so that people, um, people can know that they're not alone in that. Mm. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam, thanks for being on the show and for debuting yeah. season two. Thanks season for two. thanks for forcing us to have a season two. We've been <laughs> we've been slacking a lot. Yeah. But um you you mentioned your your blog, your website, um, which I it, it's it's a great read. I think it's very enlightening. Can you uh, yeah. what's the address for that? It, <laughs> scared to no. Um actually I'm not. It's one uh one real mother dot com. Yeah. You know, when, when you put out that first poster, I read it, I was like, whoa, <laughs> it was, boy, it was, it was, it was shocking, but shocking in, in some of the best ways, um, yeah. definitely PG 13, um, but that's, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I would just say like, if you, uh, <laughs> I don't know There's, if you're, if you are, offended by um expletives and just kind of a grittiness you can just not visit the page and that's okay well like like we were saying when you when you rip yourself open a little bit it's it's pretty raw and and super super vulnerable and and sometimes in the worst moments you you think some thoughts that you're now putting into words and so it's 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 a great read, but it's it's PG thirteen. Um, mm-hmm. Most people who listen to our podcast won't give a crap, but there <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there may be a few. But uh, check it out; it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Thank and, you. Um, you're on Instagram, Facebook. If people want to, yep, find Just you. Look up Sam Hawk. Sam Hawk. Yeah. Or any um, hawk, and then you'll probably find me. Any hawk, follow all the hawks. Yeah. <laughs> Every like, there was there was one guy, um, <laughs> like like five years ago, who friended every david libby that was on facebook he was also david <laughs> libby and so we made a we made a facebook group and i i think i like one person said one thing but we were all just super awkward about it we're like what are what are we supposed to do now like <laughs> yeah we're all david libby's cool <laughs> Period. so yeah. so if you find the wrong sam hawk just friend them all they're they're probably yeah, great probably all great. <laughs> yeah Anyway, uh, thanks for being on. Thanks for joining us uh, for the Unsuccess Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Josh. And we'll see you next time. Mm